welcome fellow traveller to the Tent Talks podcast, where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social and political imagination. Hello everyone, Stephen here. We're going to continue our series on Disagree today with a conversation with Pete Weiner. Pete is an American writer and a former speechwriter for three U.S. presidents, Reagan, George Bush Sr. and George Bush Jr. He's the vice president and senior fellow at the Trinity Forum, which is a Christian leadership center. And he's the contributing writer for The New York Times and The Atlantic. He's also the author of a number of books on public life and theology. I brought Pete into the tent today for two reasons. First of all, he is a kind, wise and lovely man who is a friend of mine. And secondly, as you will hear, because I disagree with him and he disagrees with me on some quite deep and fundamental issues. Pete is a never-Trumper and he has broken with the Republican Party. But he still holds a lot of the attitudes and opinions and assumptions that I think have led to some of the issues that we have today in this world, especially regarding violence and the sanctioned use of violence in defense of the nation. It seemed a really good opportunity to have a discussion with Pete in which we weren't trying to win. We weren't having a debate or an argument so much as exploring how we could disagree and still be friends and exploring how our disagreement could shed light on the particular points of view that we each already held. hope you enjoy this conversation. It doesn't lead to some stunning, victorious conclusion. Pete and I don't end agreeing with the other one. But we also don't end fighting with each other. It remains an attitude of respect and admiration, even in the face of disagreement. So I hope that this conversation provides some interest to you and feeds your soul and your mind. give us a little bit of background. What is your job title and where, what kind of context are you coming from into this conversation? I think that's the first thing to start. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Stephen. I am a uh, senior fellow at the Trinity Forum, uh, which is a Christian-based organization uh, that is focused on the development of character and leadership and large questions of faith and public, public life. I'm a contributing opinion writer for the New York Times and a contributing writer for the Atlantic Magazine. So those are my two main outlets. Uh, and I write on a whole range of topics, um, politics and faith among them, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but others too, sports and and uh, uh, and other things. And I live in the um, Washington D.C. area, a city called McLean, uh, Virginia. And I've been out here really uh, ever since I I came out um, my senior year uh, in college. I was at the okay. University of Washington. 
in, uh, in Seattle. And so um, public life, politics has been my professional life. I served in three Republican administrations, the Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush administration, George W. Bush White House. And then I broke with the Republican Party in really 2016 over Donald Trump and have spent a fair amount of time uh, writing about my concerns um, about uh, about him and the larger movement that he, he represents. What did you do when you worked? You said you worked in the White House. Which What were you doing there? Yeah, I had two roles. The first was I was a deputy director of presidential speech writing. Okay. So that was in 2001, 2002. So when 9-11 happened, uh, that was my, my job. And then uh, I became director of something called the Office of Strategic Initiatives from 2002 to 2007. That was kind of an in-house White House think tank, did a lot of different things, had a hand in policy, uh, communications, and politics. That uh, was, to me, the, the, the best job because it was, I think, more oriented toward my skill set. I brought in writers, biographers, public intellectuals, theologians to meet with the president. So these would be meetings that would last, you know, 90 minutes or two hours and cover a whole range of um, of topics. Mm. And um, yeah, so I was in the White House from uh, 01 to 07. Okay, right. And did you have practical, we're going to talk about war and peace and nonviolence and violence, all that. Did you have any experience of being in rooms when decisions were being made about military actions? No, not 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 really. That was very much in the in the realm of the national security right. uh, advisors uh, in the in the White House. It would be national yeah. security advisor, and then of course in an in a administration in the United States, it would be Department of State, Department of Defense, and yeah. and a series of of others. So uh, I I really wasn't a factor one way or the other. And uh, on you had to write speeches about it either before or after things happened. Yes, actually, I mean, the speech writing for 9-11, I was involved with that with, with Afghanistan. Um, right, right. Uh, Iraq was 2003. So at that point, I was no longer in speech writing, but I was still in the White House too. I think it's just useful to have a sense of, I mean, because sometimes people talk about this stuff, like just how academic is it? How, how, how much are we actually talking about things that we actually had responsibility for and how much of it right. is just theoretical. You know, I think that's worth paying attention to as well. And yeah. the reason, like one of the reasons I really wanted to record this conversation. So thank you for coming on. You and I have talked before for hours before, actually. We, yeah. I, I, I hope you don't mind me saying, I feel like we're developing a friendship of, of talking about issues, but we've been on the same mind about a lot of things. And then something came up in one of our conversations about, about war and the 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 use of nonviolence or violence and and whether one could be a follower of Jesus right and that whole question of following Jesus in war and it was you know a source of our of difference between us and I and I and then uh, I, I enjoyed that conversation I thought a lot about it afterwards you wrote a, an interesting good email to me and and then I thought well rather than write an email back what if we jumped on the recording and actually had this conversation to see what what happens with it partly because the whole environment is so febrile right like everybody's so angry and in our world and everybody's always trying to score points and cheat points against each other or trap their opponent into a to to uh disagreeing with themselves so that you can then win the argument and that kind of thing and i thought that's not how i think about pete at all and i don't yeah. think that's how he thinks about me yeah um, I genuinely like want to, I don't want to talk against straw men. 
I don't want to just sort of knock down a lot of straw men. And there are a lot of, you go on Instagram or on Facebook and you'll find a lot of really bad arguments (laughs) in defense of violence. Uh, And they're very easy to, to talk about and to refute. But I don't want that. I actually want to talk to somebody who has moral seriousness and intellectual credibility, who has an issue with some of the positions that I I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And uh, and and cares and cares to know, and I care to know the truth of what we're doing in this world as well. So. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for that that overview. And just to echo what you you said, it's very much is uh, from my perspective a friendship and a, and a and a valuable one, both personally and also intellectually and and theologically, because uh, I feel like I learned from you. You your writings on Kierkegaard have helped. Um, deepen my understanding of uh of things so i'm really appreciative of of that um also i feel like your temperament and your disposition is one that i admire and um and appreciate and can uh and can learn from and yeah you're you're right so we had to had the this uh conversation i think in our last zoom call and the issue i don't even remember quite why or how it came came up but it had to do with whole idea of just war and whether christians could could practice lethal violence and if Mm. so under what 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 conditions and then uh we we followed up and um i'm I'm happy to to continue the conversation well Um, tell me talk me through why you do think you can be a, a christian and kill your enemies yeah I'd say it's a couple of a couple of reasons, and um, but but I should stipulate that I'm open. I hope I'm open to changing my mind because I think that there are strong arguments on the opposite side. So right. to me, it's a matter of sort of balancing these things through and really talking through with some care um, what the arguments on both sides, the best arguments are on both both mm. sides to make a judgment. So my my instinct while i've not been a pacifist in the pa- in the past and i think the prism through which the moral prism through which i've i've viewed this is um i guess the issue of consequentialism right okay. i've I, I think i've always been shaped by the notion that you, there's no more serious moral system that doesn't have an element of consequentialism within it meaning what are the consequences of 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 the acts that you take and how does that bear on on the decision that that you make right. And do you and, think that I, I uh, do you think that well consequentialism traditionally consequentialists think that you measure something as good or bad by its consequences, not by its intent? Yeah, I think you I think you you measure it by uh, by both. Okay. Um, I I think you know one can have good intent, but if the consequences are horrific, yeah, that that's a problem. Right. Um, and you can have consequences that advance the moral good. Uh, but intent can, in a sense, taint taint them. And from a Christian perspective, Jesus cares a lot about intent uh, too. I mean, that's right. a lot of his teachings, were, you know, had to had to do with with that. So to to narrow in specifically, I disaggregate the the issue of lethal violence, violence, and 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 just war into into di- different areas. Yeah. One is what I was talking about, which is if you take the, the what I think from a pacifist perspective would be the hardest case, which is a war, a just war, not a perfect war, mm-hmm. but a country, a, a leader um, who stands up against malevolent nations that want to um, kill wantonly and capriciously 
uh, and in a widespread fashion. Mm -hmm. And you have the capacity through the use of power to stop that mm -hmm. and through the use of that power to save many lives, maybe many millions of lives. Is that something by definition that from a Christian perspective would be uh, wrong, morally wrong? Is it something that Jesus would would uh, would object to? And there's the issue, of course, of the, of the individual case. If someone were to attack your wife and your children and you had they were much bigger and stronger and younger than you. And the only way you had to stop that was lethal violence. Mm -hmm. Would that be justified? Are police forces justified um, to, 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 to try and keep order? And then yeah. there's the issue of war, you know, war itself. So there's that whole cluster of issues. And then also out there, and you, you'll be more informed really on all these topics than I, but there's there would be the biblical arguments or verses that would be on the other right. scale from the Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And some right. of that would be, would be what Jesus said. Some of it would be what Paul wrote in, in, in Romans. So there's the hermeneutical interpretation. Is it, is it crystal clear or how clear is it yeah. that the Bible itself taken in its totality understood properly um, would say no to, to violence or lethal violence under every possible condition is what Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount in his own life, which obviously was not touched by by lethal violence and seemed to stand against it. Is that a sort of ultimate trump card, um, right. which it could be on on this issue where you say the just war may may save hundreds of thousands or millions of lives, I would grant that, but you still can't do it because it's contra Jesus and his teachings. Um, or is that not in fact the, the, the case? So that's a broad um, overview of, of how I've been thinking about this issue. So if I had a chance to kill a Hitler or something, and I don't because I say I'm a follower of Jesus, I would be doing something because the consequences would be bad. I'm doing something evil. Well, I don't know. I mean, that would be an issue that that you. I think you would need to pronounce your sense of of uh, of of a judgment. You know, take take the Bonhoeffer variation of the Bonhoeffer. Yeah, right. Example, right. He was somebody who was pacifist or certainly sympathetic toward pacifism and took part in a plot to kill Hitler. And it's certainly, from, I think, from his perspective, and you know better than I, he viewed these as two terrible choices. Um, maybe he viewed them as two evil choices. But when you're faced with terrible and evil choices, often you still have to choose one over the other. So the question would be, is one worse than, than the other? Yeah. My instinct on this, and I've thought it was grounded in a biblical ethic, but again, it may not be, which would be, if you had to, to use your illustration, the capacity to to kill Hitler, and if in fact that act led to the savings of many millions of of lives, let's assume that Auschwitz and and Dachau and and Buchenwald had not yeah. gone forward. Uh, that's not the exact parallel with Bonhoeffer, but for the sake of the discussion, that that had not happened, would uh, you maybe we'll just make that specific. Would you say that that act of killing Hitler, with those consequences, which is many millions of saved lives, would the act itself of a, of an assassination, use of lethal right. violence, be evil or wrong or 
contrary to Jesus um, or or not. I'd love to hear your your thoughts on it. Do you find much traction be- when we talk about the difference between the way of Jesus and being a Christian or Christianity and the way of Jesus? Like, do you do you kind of understand what I mean when I try and make that distinction? Yeah, I think I think, I think so. I'd here. love to love to hear you. And I'm sure your your listeners too to 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 dilate on 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 that, because there's a difference between Christendom, Christianity, being a Christian, being a right. follower. So, and it brings up all sorts of other issues, of course. But I mean, it's probably worth delineating this one to be, before we keep going like that. that obviously, there are lots and lots and lots of very good Christian arguments for killing Hitler. <laughs> And I get all I'm trying to say is, and if you do any of those, you are not following the way of Jesus. So, so that what we have is we're, we're, we basically have Jesus said, don't kill your enemies. And then we have lots and lots and lots of arguments on the other side of the, here's when you are allowed to kill your enemies. Here's why it's good. And whether that's right or wrong. So it might even be like Bonhoeffer ended up saying, I'm not going to follow the way of Jesus right now. I'm going to try and kill my enemies. God have mercy on my soul. He said, basically. So he was like aware that he was not following the way of Jesus when he acted as a Christian to kill Hitler. Right. Right. And, but he was aware of that. And I think almost what I'm concerned about more than these hypothetical questions is the, is that lack of, of awareness. What, What I actually end up seeing more and more and more is, and over and over again is people enthusiastically abandoning the way of Jesus yeah, <laughs> and wrapping it in a flag and a Bible and, and have marches and songs and like really enthusiastically abandoning the way of Jesus. Right. Yeah. Uh, and calling themselves Christian and then being propped up by this whole apparatus of Christendom, which, which <laughs> affirms them constantly. We're all, you know, if you're a, if you're a veteran, you get to, come to the front of the line and if you if you don't fly american flags on the 4th of july then everybody thinks you're a a traitor i mean there's like the social pressure is huge right from christians against people who might want to put a pause on all this glorification of military violence to solve our problems you know And, and that that itself i find sort of disheartening or sad that that the main enemies of you know the main sources of persecution for people trying to follow the way of jesus aren't coming from secular atheists they're coming from christians yeah you know yeah no look i think that uh you know in in some ways you're pushing on an open door with me uh, right because i think that's 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 very very true i would say just as a, a as a fifteen thousand foot view of of this the degree to which people who claim to be followers um, of jesus are advocating things sensibilities dispositions that are contrary to to jesus um, is a huge problem um, yeah. and i think it's doing tremendous damage to to the to the the, the christian church and i think people who would um, embrace and celebrate the use of violence or don't struggle with the very issue that you've raised, which is the, the use of, 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 of lethal violence and in what circumstances, um, that's a real, that's a real, real, uh, 
problem. I would absolutely yeah. agree with with that. And I I accept your point, which is you you, you know, and and Bonhoeffer's, which is you're doing something that that wouldn't be the the way of Jesus. Um, but then I guess the next question, and maybe in some respects the deeper question is, would you be violating sort of the ethic of Jesus? And would Jesus himself, how do you view somebody like a yeah. Bonhoeffer or, or somebody who whose motivations um, are not tainted to the degree that that, that is yeah. often the case of what we see, yeah. um, and who does it reluctantly. But the question is, when you, for example, when you view what Bonhoeffer did, or take yeah. the variation of, of of another example, would would you, if you were in Bonhoeffer's situation, would you do the act that he did if you knew that you could save many hundreds of thousands or millions well, of this, lives? Yeah. So. Okay, this is partly where I'm a little... All right, I will answer those questions really honestly, and then I'll tell you why it bothers me or why I feel like... what I, where, where the discomfort comes from this. Sure. So uh, would I... If I was in a hypothetical situation and, you know, if I knew for sure that killing one man would save tens of thousands of people, maybe I would, right? Maybe I would do that. Maybe I would do the moral calculation. I would do it knowing that I wasn't following the way of Jesus as well right so i wouldn't pretend i wouldn't i wouldn't be proud of my act i wouldn't think it was right i think it was wrong and i would think like bonhoeffer i would say this the fall the if if the doctrine of, of the fall and original sin means anything at all it means we have created a world for ourselves in which sometimes no matter what you do it's the wrong thing mm -hmm. and and it's and we live in sin and no matter what we do right so i i wouldn't uh I wouldn't go on a speaking tour and I wouldn't run for office based on my my record of killing Hitler, put it that way. Like it would have been a bad thing that I had done. Or, or at least it would have been against the way of Jesus. But why I feel sort of sad about these hypothetical questions that you, these counterfactuals that you put to me and that anybody who cares about nonviolence gets this counterfactual all the time, right? What would you do if somebody broke into your house and was threatening your wife? Or what would you do if you could save 10 million Jews by killing Hitler. Like we're always asked those questions. Mm -hmm. And why why I feel sad though is that the opposite is that every single war <laughs> that has ever actually been enacted, not hypothetically, but actually, has been enacted by people who who are convinced that they are doing the right thing by killing their enemies. Mm -hmm. And that so many of them are done by Christians. Who think that they're doing the right thing, including Hitler, right? You can find quotes where Hitler is talking about himself as defending the Christian nation, and uh, certainly including loads of the German soldiers that were fighting for Hitler. They all self-identified as Christians, right? So the evil that has been actually done by actual Christians who think that I got to kill my enemies because this is what my nation needs of me right now. That's real. That's not counterfactual, right? So like your hypothetical question to me carries way less weight to me than the actual real endless waves of dead people and destruction because everybody thought they were involved in a just war. Does that does that hold water with you? Does that matter? Yeah, it does matter. It it does matter. I think it's a it's a completely valid point to make and I think it's an important one to bear in mind. I I think I'd respond to it several ways. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think it's actually a counterfactual, right? I think it, it, the, these are real situations. That Bonhoeffer was a real situation. Hitler was right. a real figure. Yeah. So it's not it's not actually a counterfactual, and it's not simply an abstraction. Uh, um, so these things play out in 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 real life. So just in terms of the precision of the language, uh, uh, that's I think the first thing I would say. Okay. The second thing is, I I completely agree with you that there have been people who have used the argument of just war uh, under the banner of Christianity to do great evil. Right. And that is wrong. And I certainly wouldn't argue against. That. I don't think most people, if they were actually put, you know, put forward. Um, that that case and the historical examples would 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 uh, would dispute it. And what one of the conclusions one would I think reasonably draw, morally morally responsible person would reasonably draw is you have to be really really careful in the use of lethal violence and just war. But on the other hand, um, I think it's 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 an issue that you probably is worth your struggling with. Because what all of us have to do, what all of us should do mm. more than do, and I'm speaking to myself here, is take the hard cases, not the easy cases, mm -hmm. when we've got it. So I think you could concede your point and say, but there's still something else out there, right? Which is, there have been situations in which nations have gone to war, whether they've been justified by Christian arguments or not, in which nations that were less evil than other nations have stopped awful things. And of course, many of the worst tyrants of the 20th century weren't Christian. Mao killed 70 plus million people more than any other individual probably in human history. He didn't do it under the banner of Christianity. He was not yeah, himself yeah, yeah. Uh, a follower of Jesus. Stalin, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, or, I'm not. I'm not claiming Christianity starts right. wars. Yeah, I'm not. Right. That's not one of my arguments. So I think the the question here isn't whether uh, there's a really high bar to cross for the use of war and just war, or that it can't go wrong. I'm just saying, if one's view is in principle, it can never be done. It ought never to be done. Then I think one has to, and honestly, morally, intellectual honesty, say, okay, then I'm willing to say that in those cases, maybe they're rare, but in those cases, um, in history, and in that that are within the realm of of, mm. of, of the conceivable, that um, I would not, as a matter of principle, use lethal violence under any conditions. Um, and am I willing to live with the consequences, the human consequences, the mass of tragedy, the mass death, the mass suffering? And it may be that the answer to that is yes, but I think one has to, if, if one is in a pacifist position, say, that's where I'm willing to have this argument go. Or to say, no, generally speaking, I hold a pacifist view. Uh, that's my instinct. I think that's the biblical point. But I'm certainly open, like Bonhoeffer was, to rare and horrible circumstances where it has to be uh, to be used. And and I'm not even sure where you, where you are on that on that question. But even and, well, first of all, Bonhoeffer failed. Uh, I mean, it is kind of, you know Bonhoeffer's failed attempt, or he was part of a plot. He was probably part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. I don't know if every listener knows this, and the plot failed. And by the way, the the very failure of that plot, Hitler used as part of his propaganda to say God was on his side, right? So, so in fact, an attempt to use lethal violence to solve a problem actually made the evil worse. 
that's right. also that is a real consequence that also happened right right but the other thing i'd point out is that like we've been assassinating tyrants all the time and it hasn't changed anything i mean you guys killed saddam hussein you know like it doesn't uh, you, you killed osama bin laden like it doesn't it just changed the evil just keeps going right it's it, there's a there's sort of evidence, though, that these things actually solve the problem they just move but, it around yeah let's let, let's pause on them because it's 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 an important question um and let me disaggregate your your answer i i don't think in terms of what we're talking about the principle here and to argue or to say that bonhoeffer's plot failed doesn't really address the principle it only says that the execution of it didn't succeed and i think for for the purposes right, of this discussion, right, right. The, the the moral question here is would it have been better if it had succeeded um right and um not not and and to answer should he or shouldn't he have done it and said well it didn't succeed and therefore hitler said he was um, I think then the question would be, do you wish it had succeeded? And was it worth the effort? Right, right. So I think yeah, that's, yeah, sure. that's the harder question. Yeah, fair enough. Um, then the second one is, you, you know, evil people have been killed and um, and uh, that didn't solve the problem. Well, first here, I was just again, I, just for the precision of language. Nothing in this fallen world is going to solve anything. Right, the question right. is whether you take real actions in an imperfect world to make things somewhat better or even better, right? And to, to come back and to say, well, this has been tried a bunch of times and it didn't fail or it backfired, that's a completely valid point to make. But it still doesn't deal with the, the principle because, I mean, the, 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 the counter argument to that would be, all right, just in terms of the principle you hold, Certainly, you would be willing to concede that there have been some wars in which evil forces and malevolent forces have been stopped. And if countries had not raised arms, that more people would have died. I mean, we can just take take Hitler and, and Germany, but there's so many of these. I mean, it's not outside the realm of the possible to say that a coalition of nations, which are imperfect, can come together and defeat nations that are totalitarian, fascistic, brutal, and bloody, and that they can bring to an end a war that if they had not raised arms, would not have stopped, and evil would have been prevailed. Because if the argument in principle is that no people, even morally better people, should ever raise arms to stop uh, the vicious, the brutal, um, then the vicious and the brutal will not be stopped. There's no conscience to to stop them. And again, I think that would apply with police. I presumably, and it, I don't know. I don't know what your views are on 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 police. My my daughter and I were just recently uh, in in St. Louis and looking at a college where she might apply to go to graduate school. And there was a guy who was born in in the inner cities of St. Louis, and he was driving us through, and he was saying, you know, if you go to this school, this is the area you want to stay away from. And he was saying, you know, I just wish that there were more cops in this area to protect to protect us uh, because we're 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 vulnerable. Um, so all I'm saying is is that the the reflex to saying um, that you know uh, taking up arms against <clears throat> vicious uh, leaders of malevolent countries and to say, well, it's it's it, there have been cases in which it hasn't worked is true and needs to be said. But there are exceptions to that too, 
And so I think what we're talking about, at least this is how I'm trying to struggle with it, in those exceptions, what would be the right thing or what would a pacifist say would 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 uh, would be the appropriate the appropriate thing to to do in these really hard cases. But this is where there's a you know, see, this is where it's worth paying attention to the difference between I guess what you call consequentialist pacifism. So the sort of pacifism that says pacifistic responses are the best solution to evil, right? And there is a lot of work being done on that and there's lots of theory and there's lots of practice and there are a lot of people that will really make the argument that actually at the end of the day non-violent solutions are the best way to tackle this endless cycle of of violence right so we'll find ways to do it but they're they're coming at it from a point of view of like the, they are also consequentialists they're like the, the end right. result is a solution to violence we think that violence is pretty evidently not a good solution to violence so we're going to try and change that routine and we're going to do something different. So we'll we'll train our police in non-lethal uh, you know, ways or we will practice non-violent resistance or we'll, you know, there's lots and lots of things you can do. In fact, there's some famous so 99 non-violent responses to evil. There's lots of websites and books and things that really put this into practice. And so one thing that I would say is like, I'd, I wish I'd see more of that taken seriously i wish and it does work in lots of places and there are ways to do it and i don't see a lot of people putting resources into that we just have this we've got a lot of bombs so our solution is bombs and we've got we've got our guns so our solution is a gun so to a man with a with a hammer everything is a nail right and i feel like that's one of the a consequentialist pacifist view is the saying like we are not using the right tools for this job like we have got some major problems that could actually be tackled in lots of different ways besides just purely killing, which, by the way, the killing is never innocent. People are always involved in this. Right. And and also no one is ever purely evil. Right. And no country, even in these cases of the Germans versus the allies and all that, no country has ever been purely like free from mixed motives and that kind of stuff as well. Right? There hasn't been that a lot of the people fighting that in world war ii they weren't fighting to rescue the jews a lot of soldiers didn't they didn't know about any of that until after the fact right yeah. so you know that that's one side to say like a lot of these wars are not being fought they're kind of being told after the fact that it's right versus wrong but the rhetoric is always good versus evil but the reality is nations jostling for more land over and against other nations and that kind of thing so it's all there's something to be said for, well, let's let's have some better solutions to these problems. But then I would also say, though, that not all the Christian or the Jesus way. Christian pacifism is different than consequentialist pacifism. So here's where you get the famous quote from Stanley Hauerwas. And Stanley says, I don't follow the way of Jesus and nonviolence because it works. I follow it because Jesus told me to. The consequences of following the way of Jesus actually have really nothing to do with whether it was right or wrong. And that sometimes, and this is where you get the Mennonites and the, the Quakers and the real like Christian nonviolent traditions, they go right back to the, the martyrs who rather than organize themselves in defiance of Caesar, they actually did what Jesus said to do, right? You know, they laid down their swords and they turned the other cheek and, and, their very martyrdom was itself a witness to a new way of a different way of living right so right. 
their failure was itself the witness that there is another way there's a different way and that so like even the failure can't help but give testimony to jesus right and there's something there and i and and that's why i just sort of all of when you're talking and you're giving lots and lots of really good arguments for waging war and i thought jesus could disappear everything you know about jesus could disappear from the record tomorrow and you wouldn't have had to change a single word of your argument Right. No, it's look, I, I these are those are very fair points. Let me let me try and take them in order, at least give a, a tentative response to, mm. to what I would what I would say. Uh, again, your 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 point about uh countries that, that that go to war and they dress it up with the language of righteousness and morality. That's absolutely true. If you look at the fight of World War II between the Allied and the Axis powers, the Allied uh, powers used the, they did the firebombing of Dresden. There was yeah, Hiroshima. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a lot that that was not good. Um, so I'm not arguing that, and I'm not arguing that there aren't mixed motives. I, I just think f- to point that out is still to I think ultimately uh, I would say um, evade one sort of central question here, which is. Just to take that example in the Allied versus the Axis powers, was it better for human right. civilization if the Allied or the Axis powers, with all of the right. deficits and the mixed motives of the Allied powers? I would say that it was better. I think that defeating the Axis powers in World War II was better for civilization and was yeah. better. More people survived than the opposite way, with all of the caveats that, that you would. Yeah you would you would say the second is look i'm completely open if there are nonviolent ways to prevent pol pot or stalin or mao zedong or or hitler or civil wars or mass murders in cities i mean if if there's a way in which one can reason with them if there's a way in which police officers or countries other than taking up arms can persuade um, a maniac from who is intent on killing and taking land uh, from doing it, that it's more effective, not, not using violence and violence. I'd say I'm all for it. I haven't seen it. I don't think it squares with human reality and, and the difficulties of, of uh, my brother as a police officer. Yeah, we don't see it. And we don't see can it. Des- yeah. I think yeah. I can describe in detail people that anything short of force would not work with people who are schizophrenic, malevolent, and intent on killing innocent people. Um, so I think that's a bit of a dodge, even though I would say if there are 99 ways for police departments for sure and others to find a better means, I think you'd have to be a moral idiot to say, well, let's use violence uh, when when they're nonviolent ways. I just don't think that in reality that's that's uh, that's going to to uh, to work. Then you get to the question, the Hauerwas. Uh, quote, which I think is a very powerful argument uh, for, for it. And basically what he is arguing is, as you said, it doesn't matter whether you would save more lives. And right. so I give Harwas credit for, for accepting. Right. He just the, faces that. Yeah. Yeah. He just faces it. Yeah. Right. And I just, in my, my predilection on this, my disposition, I'm sure maybe my own, my own history as a, as a person of, of faith and and family of origin and a lot of other things that doesn't quite that's not good enough for me i would say or it's at least difficult for me and i'll tell you why from a from i would say a jesus perspective and a biblical mm-hmm. perspective mm-hmm. 
I at least struggle with this with this question, which is it's the whole notion of the incarnation and the whole notion that Jesus entered the human story because he cared about suffering and wanted to alleviate it. Okay. And I don't think I think there are there are different faiths in which you could say it doesn't really matter. I think that the Jesus example in the incarnation would say he is absolutely oblivious to to the human consequences of actions. Um, and if you would stipulate that one million people are going to go to Auschwitz because you didn't stop it, let's just stipulate that there was an argument where Bonhoeffer years earlier could have done the plot, it could have killed Hitler, Germany never would have gotten gone forward, and you would have said Auschwitz would never have happened. That's not an implausible uh, discussion. And to say Jesus would say, yes, let the million people go. Let them walk through the doors of Auschwitz. Let them be incinerated. Let the children die. Um, but, but Pete, when but you Pete, could Jesus it. did have a solution, and German Christians didn't obey him. R right, and like they, he they, does have he does have his response to these things. How would how how would uh, I, a I don't know what. Uh, what could have been done to stop Hitler or any other? Again, we're just focusing on Hitler because it's the most obvious historical example. But again, I think we've got to credit Hauerwas. He's what he is saying is, I'm willing to accept the human cost of my views. I just think that that's if one is a principled pacifist, rather than saying, right, right, uh, we, 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 I don't, I don't want to accept the 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 case study, the discussion precisely because it's very difficult for me to grapple with. I'm just saying, and I don't even know if your views or your like principal pacifist, it's never allowed, or in some cases, again, the Bonhoeffer exception. I'm just saying that that is a, that, that is a, a real historical example. And just to respond to the Hauerwas example, I don't know that the Jesus example of the incarnation would would fit in, and then and here I'd be also interested in your thoughts, and and you're the the theologian, and I'm not, and your understanding of hermeneutics is much more. But I think clearly from what Romans, what Paul writes in Romans uh, um, thirteen about how he 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 praises the the uh, the authorities um, as ministers of God who serves as avengers who bring wrath upon the one who practices evil. Um, and then you had Jesus with a centurion and Jesus in Luke, I think Luke 22, where he tells his disciples to, to, to take to take up the swords um, when, when when he's no longer he's no longer there. There is this this notion. And again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a theologian, so I, I'm sure your understanding of it is more sophisticated than mine. But that would be a teaching of did Paul obviously Paul came after Jesus, not before him. Uh was Paul's teachings contra Jesus? Was 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 what would Hauerwas say when when he said, "Well, I'm not going to do it because Jesus told me." Well, would he say to Paul that what Paul seems to be arguing? Maybe maybe I'm wrong about what he seems to be arguing, but I think most theologians would say that is what Paul was arguing for, which is the state is there to prevent evil, and it can take up the sword when necessary. Uh -huh. Did Paul not get the memo, so to so to speak? So there, th those are several of the of of the responses, and and I'd love to hear your thoughts on on any or all of those. Well, I mean, how much how much Bible study monologue do you really want? I as much as you want to give. 
I do find it. So this is where I look at is like, I think your imagination has been captured as a powerful person in who has been in the government of the most powerful nation in history. And, and as a Christian, who's used to having power and you think that it is your right to be a powerful person, like you are entitled to being in charge of things. I think we have a lot of Christians, just generations of Christendom has brought us to the point where Christians naturally assume that when we see things like the state wields the sword, that that's us, right? And the reason why I think that you could be captured by this vision of power is that you don't at all ever refer to Romans 12. You don't at all refer to Romans 1, uh, 13, verse 8, right? You like Powerful Christians always just do Romans 1, 13, 1 to 7. They don't pay any attention to the verses just preceding it and just following it. And I find that interesting. So if you were to look at the verses just preceding Romans 13, at the end of Romans 12, Paul very, he has a distinct, he says, uh, have my brothers and sisters have nothing to do with vengeance. That is for the Lord, right? And instead, and then he quotes Jesus, one of the few places where Paul quotes Jesus. And he says, instead, you know, you, you treat evil with, you don't repay evil for evil. You repay, you, you repay evil for good. And then he says, um, everyone should submit. Uh, he says, so repay evil with good. And that's how you're going to put burning coals on your enemy's heads. And then the very next verse, his 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 example of overcoming evil with good is, I would like you to submit to the ruling authorities. Right. So he is he is actually the ruling authorities are not in the realm of goodness. They're actually in the realm of evil. And they're the, they're the Roman Empire, which is holding the Christians under persecution. And he's saying, I, I want you to submit to the same power that killed Jesus. And I want you to act towards Rome the way Jesus acted towards Rome. I want you to submit to the ruling authorities. The ruling authorities are there basically as plan B. This is not a, a huge, like, glowing endorsement of Rome. This is like, evil people are going to die by evil ways. And God's wrath is shown, like, the way that God's wrath works in the um, New Testament, it's it's kind of like people get what they people get what they want. Like if you persist in living a life of violence, then you will get the life of violence that you want, right? And you will feel it as God's wrath. You'll feel it as God's vengeance. So it's kind of like the state and the sword and violent people being killed violently. That's all part of the vengeance dealing world, which in Romans 12, Paul has just said, I want you followers of Jesus to have nothing to do with that, right? That is for them. That is for what's going on over there. Yeah, let me just. And then he you. has that the submission, and then Romans thirteen eight, don't submit anything that's don't give anything to Caesar that's going to break the law of love, right? And then it, and then it continues to talk about love. So like far from being some sort of proof text about Christians followers of Jesus wielding swords righteously to kill enemies, it's the opposite. It's a Christians followers of Jesus. You have this role. It's different from what the state is doing. And by the way, there's a limit to how much I even want you to follow Caesar. And that yeah. limit is don't break the law of love, which was the law that Jesus set down, right? Yeah. So Let Paul is not in opposition to Jesus here at all. Yeah. What would you, how would you characterize 
if you wanted to characterize the best informed theological good faith argument against what you said, well, let's say Tom Wright um, and others who who hold a, who hold a different view, right? How would you articulate the the best case against what you said, uh, or do you think that that there is no case against what you said, and the people, the theologians, many of them throughout the, the age who have argued that rulers exist for the benefit of society and to protect the general public by maintaining good order. But this is, is, that, the, is that a, is that a, a, a almost yeah, an, and, no, no, that's the thing though. See, this is the thing is what I'm trying to say is you are thinking that when the new Testament talks about rulers, it's talking about you. No, and the no, new no, Testament not. is not. It's when it's talking about rulers, it's not assuming that followers of Jesus are going to be those rulers. No, it thinks I, followers I, of Jesus have a different role, right? Yeah. No, no, so no. So when I, it's I, talking I, about the purpose of rulers in the world, it's not talking about what you're supposed to do as a follower of Jesus. It's talking about what what the world does. You no, know, under, right? under, under, understood. And yeah. uh, that's actually something I've almost as old as I've been, a, as long as I've been a Christian. One of the first questions I had was Romans 13, 1, uh, which is submitting to governing authorities. The governing authorities were Nero and they killed Christians. So this mm -hmm. is not a new question for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not for a moment arguing that I'm thinking about myself in power. I think what I'm asking you, at least for the purposes of this, just this conversation, what do you what would you articulate as the the strongest argument with theological integrity against what you've so the strongest out. arguments would come i guess uh, more i would say sort of an oliver o'donovan professor oliver o'donovan would probably be the strongest now by the way talk about a field of straw men like uh there are very few defenders of political violence christian violence who who engage with jesus there are many 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 who will engage with christianity or with politics or with common sense or with you know there are very few who will talk about jesus and who will wrestle with the fact that you cannot get uh, we could talk about jesus and the swords picking up swords you cannot get an, an ethic of lethal violence to solve a problem killing a human to solve a problem you cannot get that from jesus right you cannot and and so the the best Christian theologians, of which there are vanishingly few, will try and deal with that question. And more, uh, Oliver O'Donovan is probably the best one. I've actually asked this, Pete. I asked this the very same question that you asked. I was saying, I want to find the best example. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I asked around, and basically my colleague said, there isn't really what you want. Because I said, what I want is somebody who engages with Jesus and the Jesus ethic towards violence and nonviolence, and who then can talk about just war, right? Because mm -hmm. what actually happens is everybody who, any Christian who talks about this stuff will say, yeah, we know Jesus said, turn the other cheek. And we know he said this and that, but, and then what will follow is all the descriptions of Romans 13 and Christendom and, and righteous violence and stuff. And they just bracket, they're putting Jesus in the no column. And then they're, the rest of their argument is why they're allowed to disobey Jesus. And they've just put him aside. And would you just to pause on that? Because, I, well, first answer, what what would Oliver O'Donovan? What, so Oliver you... O'Donovan, at the very least, he's got an image. Think of it like there's two real ways of thinking about Christianity. And one group thinks the New Testament was the fully fledged tree 
it was the full flowering and it's all been corruption ever since. So the Jesus, the people who knew Jesus knew Jesus best. And what followed was Christianity and the church, which increasingly got it wrong. Okay. And as, and the story is, is as Christianity, as Christians moved into places of power, as they became more powerful, as they started to become, as Rome started to become Christian, that's where you really see the full Christ-centered ethic disappearing. And what gets replaced is, well, to be honest, something like you were saying to me earlier, right? A, a kind of a, we. this is what we need to do to preserve the empire that we have. This is what we need to do to protect people. Then the other view of Christian history is that the New Testament, Jesus is the acorn, and that Christendom is the is the oak tree. That the 2,000 years that have passed has led to the Christian empires and the Christendom. And that we are now, and this is this is the Oliver O'Donovan sort of approach, which is we are now living with the world that Christianity built. And so we are in charge, like we are responsible for it, right? So that we are now the ones who have to wield the swords and all that. And that that the little acorn grew into an oak tree and the oak tree is us. And so now we have responsibility for tending it, right? So he'll have a vision of like Jesus as Lord or King the kingship, the sort of kingship of Jesus uh, as the king who's going to, I don't know, restore all things. But he sees that the growth of Christendom in some ways, although there's lots of detours, but he says overall the growth of Christendom is is a good thing and we should be looking forward to its fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And along the way, we have to tend it just like a gardener would have to prune a tree or a vine. Okay, mm -hmm. And that would be wars and stuff. So that would be... a yeah, I, I'm really making a hash of Oliver O'Donovan here, but that's the, if you're going to find like a really good vision of it, that would be that. But I just fundamentally have a problem with it because it does still, it's still, you know, even the best of these arguments still don't deal with Jesus as okay. Jesus actually said and did, right? All right that's and it actually did. And it's not hypothetical, right? Like right. Jesus actually did live in a, a place where a violent foreign oppressor was oppressing Jews, by the way. <laughs> um, right. He actually did have lots of followers who had swords or potential to have swords, and he told them to put them away. Um, well, in Luke, he, right. In, in Luke, he told, he didn't tell them to put, put them away, right? Yeah, he does. In Luke 22? Yeah, go read the rest of it. This, you guys, you all read one verse and then you stop as if Luke stopped writing. He tells, he tells them to put the swords away just five seconds later. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and by the way, he tells you in Luke 22 why he says, he says, I want you to have swords. And then he tells you why. So that you will be counted amongst the outlaws. Right. And the word there is lestes, the outlaws. They were they were the they were the bandits that lived out in the wilderness. They were the powerless ones that lived outside of the system. OK. And if you had to have a sword, if you're walking around with a sword, you were sort of identifying yourself as. uh a person who had to live outside of the, the peace of Rome. You were living outside of the system. And in fact, when Jesus was crucified, he had an outlaw on either side of him. And it was the same word. It was a lay stace, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, when Jesus says, I want take some swords so that you, so that when people look at you, they think you are one of these people, mm -hmm. right? Which is the opposite of like uh, a really powerful citizen is like, I want you to look like, a wilderness traveler with no power. And then later on, when, when they come and say, we've got our swords, he says, that's enough. He shuts them down. It's another example of the disciples 
taking him too literally, right? And he tells him to to stop it. And then when Simon Peter does pull out his sword and chops off somebody's ear, Jesus says, stop. Puts, yeah, That's yeah. not put them away, right? Yeah. So even that story where Jesus talks about swords ends with Jesus telling you, don't use the swords, right? Yeah. Just so have you... them to, at the most, it's look like somebody who is living by their own means outside of the system. Yeah. Don't even act like them. Right. No, no, right. no. That's a, that's a very helpful clarification. But the whole, uh, but so, what I'm trying to get at is like that, that kind of life, like the actual life, it's not just random verses of Jesus. It's, it's a whole life lived towards submission to violence rather than wreaking violence. And, and to, and to, and as a follower of Jesus to accept it. Right. Because the, even the acceptance of it is seen in the new Testament as that's how the powers and principalities are right, and it, and it could yeah. it could be. I understand the argument could be that the sort of Christianity and the teachings of Jesus are such a moral inversion that that's its 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 witness. Yeah, um, and yeah, and, and, uh, and but that's what I'm saying is like the, the kind of groups that you're the, the kind of side that you want to be on. It it can't deal with very well with Jesus at all, and it never does. Like the, here again, we're not talking hypothetically; we're talking about. I'm just constantly reading this stuff and watching it and listening to talks and seeking it out. I cannot find anybody that really deals with Jesus. Okay, but let's. I, I want to pause on because I think. Look, I think that's the strongest argument that you that that you have, and and I yeah. don't dispute. I wouldn't dispute that you can't really proof text Jesus to come up with with lethal violence. No, you I, can I, proof text Deuteronomy and Leviticus and yeah, yeah, Romans yeah, no, 13, no, one to seven. Right, you can, right, yes. Right, right. yes. So I, I understand that. Um, yeah. And I think, I think we've, we, we probably have some degree of common ground, which is I don't dispute that when you take Jesus's teachings, you're not going to be able to get to lethal violence easily. No. At all. I think you're willing to say uh, with, with Stanley Hauerwas, that even if Auschwitz and and a thousand Auschwitzes are the moral consequences of that, the human consequences, you're willing to live with that. You're willing to live with if a person is going to kill your wife and your kids, even though it's a difficult one, you're willing to live with that because that's what Jesus taught. So I think that's a second. Well, no, I wouldn't. I, I, I wouldn't say that. I would say. If I did enact violence, I would not be following the way of Jesus. I would be saying your way is too hard. Okay, well, let's pause on that. Then yeah. that's helpful. And the other thing, though, you... Pete, before we go, is like it's the accumulation of countless humans who have decided. Let's just think about the Christians here. Let's just think about the Germans and the Americans and the Canadians I, I, and the Brits. All right, I, I understand. I, I just countless want to soldiers who think who think they're Christian who have decided. In this case, I will pull the trigger. I will kill. That right. is what we're looking at right now. And no, what I, would have happened if every single Christian had just acted like a Christian? We I, wouldn't have needed Auschwitz. We wouldn't have had Auschwitz. We wouldn't have had I, World War One. We wouldn't have had World War Two. I understand. No, I understand. It, it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's a good point, and, and you've made it three or four times, and I accept it. Again, I'm not disputing that it hasn't been misused. I'm just trying to understand in principle what you're willing to. I'm willing to say that I can't find the words of Jesus that are going to endorse lethal violence. I think I understand that you're willing to say with all of those caveats, with all the historical examples, that if there are Auschwitz and a thousand Auschwitzes, the Stanley Hauerwas and your argument is, but Jesus told me not to do it, even if that's the consequence, because obviously 
I think you're 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 honest enough to concede that there are acts of violence that could cause much more violence, much more death. Mm. But you're willing to say that 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 is not that you're willing to accept it. And you said you're willing to say that you wouldn't if you were to commit an act of violence, if you have the capacity to kill a Pol Pot who just and that prevented the death of 25 percent of the Cambodian population that you would say you wouldn't be following Jesus by killing him. I guess my yeah, question yeah. to you is, let's stipulate that, that you believe you would be following Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus would not want you to do it? Do you think that the person who would do it, do you think would they made the wrong moral choice, even as you, you know you would concede it's a difficult moral choice? But go to, to a deeper level, which is not just that you're not following Jesus. Yeah. But is it a is it a situation if someone was about to kill your wife and your children or to 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 uh, massacre 25 percent of the Cambodian population and you had the power through lethal violence to stop it? Is that something that you would hope you would do? And how do you think Jesus would and and what would you, what would your judgment be on you for having done it? Well, the problem the, harsh, is, the harshest judgment that you would. The thing is, I don't I don't actually have to ask what would Jesus do, because we know what he did. I mean, in terms of the only stories we have of Jesus, right? The only stories we have of Jesus take great pains to show when he stood before the Roman governor who had the power to do all these things that you've just described, the Pol Pot. Right, 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 no, would, he didn't would... use his power. He didn't kill Pilate, right? right. In fact, he, he offered him a chance to repent, frankly. He, he, he was there. He was silent. He asked questions. He submitted with dignity. The New Testament takes great pains to tell you that Jesus didn't call, could have, but didn't call down angels from heaven, or he didn't call on his his followers to pick up swords, right? So, like that's part of the New Testament story. I don't have to ask hypothetically what would Jesus do. I have stories of Jesus in positions before violent tyrants and what he did. And if wow. Bonhoeffer, yeah. if, you, if you were to talk to Bonhoeffer or you had the capacity to kill Pol Pot and prevent millions and millions of Cambodians of dying. Well, first of all, I don't but, I, I I still keep questioning whether that really would prevent these things. First of all, well, I, Stephen, I think the reason you, you, you question is because I don't think you want to live with the moral implications of it. I, I'm right, right, right. OK. Right. I just the, every time that you get to the hard case, you, you you don't, in a sense, want to accept it. And I think the help for, for this is the clarification. As I said, we can go back there. there. I don't think you could dispute. I don't think you would dispute, but maybe you would, that there have been actions of imperfect nations and imperfect leaders who, by taking up arms, has prevented much more evil from happening. Right. That is all nations and not all leaders are on the same moral continuum. There are some that are just a lot worse. And some have been defeated throughout all of human yeah. history by, by other nations taking up arms. And the net result of that is that there have been people who have lived who would otherwise have died. Right. I just think you have to accept that. And what I'm trying to get from you, and I'm just, if I'm understanding you right, you, you're saying, if I were to act and I could save many millions of lives, hundreds of thousands of lives, whatever the number we're talking about. I think if I'm hearing you right, and I may not be, you would you would not only say, I'm not following what Jesus says, you would believe what you were doing is morally wrong and indefensible 
And you would hope that you would not take that action. That is that you would, because you are a follower of Jesus and you believe that's what Jesus teaches and it's the morally appropriate thing to do, that you would be willing to live and you would you would tell your listeners, yes, if following Jesus on the path of, of lethal nonviolence, mm. of not using it under any conditions, leads to Auschwitz or 100 Auschwitz, dear podcast listeners, I will, must tell mm. you as a person of intellectual and moral honesty, that I would live with that because that's what Jesus told me to do. I think that's what I'm trying to hear. Right, yeah, that's okay. Me. I mean, I feel the force of that. I feel like you also don't want to feel the force of the millions of people that actually have died because Christians decided no, to... No, I've, 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 I completely conceded. I mean, if you ask me directly, have millions of people died through the through through the through 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 the misuse of force, my answer is quite no no not the misuse the the use but, just the use the, I'm saying just yeah just uh, the absolutely. use of it yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean I, I just I just I think just I would have to that say then... like that I'd go with the sort of Kierkegaard point and actually this is something else we've talked about and I'd like to talk about it in a bit but that it could just be that following Jesus is impossible and then we have to admit it and say it doesn't work we can't do it. Christianity doesn't exist, we might we might have to say. All that we got is power. And we it's an ex, it's an experiment that's too hard for us. And this is what Kierkegaard came to the conclusion. He said, if I'm really going to be honest with myself, I'm not a Christian. I can't do it. Well, that's an, that, that is worth because I, I was going to ask you, and I honestly don't know quite what to make of this. So because you've talked before about the follower of Jesus, which again I think is a very powerful example. I think it's the strongest example that you have for your position on on pacifism and non non nonviolence. Mm. I don't dispute you. It's a very good correction to what I said on Luke twenty twenty two. I accept. I accept that. Um, if you go in, and let's explore it. But let me let me pause it, and then I want to hear you on sort of this Kierkegaard point. So, if we took in in Matthew five, when in the section when Jesus is talking about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a truth, and he says. Mm -hmm. Don't resist an e evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn uh, to the other. And if someone wants uh, to sue you and take your tunic, let him have the cloak as well. And if he forces you to go one mile, you go two. Um, yeah. So yeah. anybody who asks you, even an evil person, you do it. Now, th that's in a different category, but that is the teaching of Jesus. He never yeah. contradicts that teaching. Yeah. Would Would your view... This is not a trick. I, I really yeah, want no, to no. Yeah, thoughts yeah. on this because we focus the whole time on saying when it comes to lethal violence, J Jesus has taught this, and you can't be a follower of Jesus if you do lethal violence. And I think my sense would be, I don't think there are any followers of Jesus to take the point you're making, which is if you go right. through the Sermon on the Mount about anger, There's loads of stuff, yeah, adultery, yeah, we yeah, yeah, about yeah. divorce. Uh, you know, go through yeah. it. Yeah, right. None right. of us is followers of Jesus. So to to, yeah. to say that, you know, that there's a person. So who's you think I'm privileging one thing and saying because we don't do the violence thing correctly, there's no followers of Jesus anywhere. But and I'm and I'm making the other laws of less importance than the violence. I'm making violence. Yes. Yeah. And we, right. what would you how would you think this through and, and go to Kierkegaard? Because this is the topic, you you know, extremely well. well. Kierkegaard is useful. I, Let's let's bracket Kierkegaard. We can talk about Kierkegaard in terms of he, he thinks Christendom has created its own morality. Like all 
human civilizations create morality right good and evil and they're the ones that set good and evil and that is relative it changes it does change from generation to generation and but what happens is christendom which is part of that system it's a civilization it has created its good and evil and it has then also said that by following our good and evil you are in line or out of line with god's will and kierkegaard's great sort of he keeps hammering it home he's like actually you can follow God's, you follow God's will by not being offended by Jesus, not by whether you're a good citizen of Christendom or not. And you can be a following Jesus might make you a really bad citizen of Christendom. <laughs> right? right. So, so, and, and that's morality. So, so you are absolutely right. Like the moral argument could be all yours. And I could say, and I'm still not following Jesus. Like, <clears throat> The more morality, goodness and badness is actually a human invention. It's actually come, you know, you are just talking about human inventions here when you when you use your Pol Pot. And I absolutely agree that the system of morality belongs to you. And what if there was something else out there? Like what if the way of Jesus even breaks our systems of morality? Like what if it transcends and offends even those, right? And that's where you might be getting into some pretty big deal about like the magnitude of grace, for example, and and how. I mean, it's it's a very Protestant idea is that you're not saved by works, <laughs> right, right. right? It's very Protestant. The idea that what if grace, what if grace underlies everything and what if all shall be saved and there's grace and it's outside of our own moral, right. moral systems, right? But in terms of like whether the violence thing, I actually don't think it's violence. So you read Matthew 5 mm -hmm. and the red thread that runs through all of those, the uh, turn the other cheek, the give to the one who asks, if someone sues you, give them your cloak, go the extra mile. The don't red thread. Yeah, it's it's all about basically don't clutch tightly to what is rightfully yours, even if it's rightfully yours. Well, OK, so a lot of those yeah. things there are like uh, he's giving lots of examples to people which the law and cultural expectations were on their side. Like they, you know, they knew that they didn't have to walk the extra mile if a Roman forced you to do it they uh they knew that you weren't allowed to sue somebody so that they were naked and that you were allowed to resist that they knew all these things they knew that it was a moral duty if if someone hits you you're not only are you not supposed to forgive them you have to hit them back that's part of the deuteronomy law so jesus is coming along and he's like saying hey you know all these things that we you absolutely know is yours by right i want you to hold those with an open hand or i don't want you to to enforce your own rights yeah That's, he, that seems to be the thread there yeah i i guess this is an observation i've i've <laughs> made before and i just don't know hermeneutically how people go through and and determine this yeah it does seem like in my experience just as an observer of and this is theologians and people of the christian faith that they selectively choose what they think is literally Jesus. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And then when they get to something that makes them uncomfortable, they say, "Oh no, no, no! He did, he wasn't literally saying this. He was gouging your eyes." Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when Jesus says, "Don't resist," and he doesn't, he doesn't start that discussion in Matthew by saying, "Look, guys, I'm not literally saying this. I'm making a, a broader point." No. Okay? Right. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't say it. Sermon on the Mount is just a whole series of things in which he is very direct in what he says which yeah. is resi don't resist an evil person. So Stephen, yeah. if somebody comes up to you and is an evil person, 
and decides they say, I want to take your money. I want to take your car. I want to, mm-hmm. uh, I want to ravage your home. I want to burn it down. Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying, don't resist them. If they strike you on the right, then do the left. Someone wants to sue you in a tunic, give them the cloak as well. Mm-hmm. Then people say, well, you know what? That's not actually a way you can live. That's that's a standard way beyond what you can expect. Mm-hmm. So Jesus couldn't have meant that literally. So let's mitigate it. Let's water it down. What He's not really saying, don't do that. Well, I know that's what people always say. Cause right, right. But I think this, which, right? what you're saying is on the stuff on, on violence, that's literally the case, even if there are huge human consequences to it. But on a lot of other stuff that Jesus teaches in that same set of, of teachings, you go through and you say, well, he didn't really mean it. But there's nothing that Jesus ever said that said not to do it literally. And, and I think that the way that you have described, which I found actually quite attractive and helpful to me, which is, I don't think, I, I'm just going to confess here, I don't think that I see the full radicalness of Jesus and never have in my in in my no. life i think no, i've just no, been conditioned no. culturally yeah. and conditioned by the people i've been around to make him less radical and his teachings less far reaching than they were they 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 were meant but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know i i just think if you go through in, in a way you're saying you can't i think you've i think you've said this to, to to me, which is you can't be a person who uses lethal violence and be a follower of Jesus. And I think I would say or the way I might say the way of Jesus, like the okay. actual kind of way that Jesus approached when he was faced with physical violence. How did he do it? And when right. he asked, you know, so I, I mean right. that. Yeah. I don't okay. mean you can't love Jesus or admire him. I'm just saying in that instance, you have decided I'm not going to do the thing that Jesus did. Yeah. And I think, and tell me where I'm wrong theologically on this, if I am wrong on this, I think that if we take all that he taught in Matthew, just on the Sermon on the Mount, let alone the rest of his life, yeah, that none of us are uh, follow uh, the, wow. the Jesus way, because wow. he's making yeah. these, these huge demands on us, and we ignore almost all of them. Yes, we do. Right, and then so, we and then we justify it by saying, "Well, he wasn't really saying yeah, yeah. he couldn't have meant this because it's 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 too much." But, uh, that's why we. It's very easy to actually say, "All right, if I'm willing to face the consequences of this line of lo- reasoning, I'm going to end by saying, there is no, there are no followers of Jesus." Would you we say that? Would you say that? I'd say it's vanishingly small. I would say that you. What you find is you tend to find groups who, I think I've said this to you before, it's not that you find people doing it all right or all wrong. What you find is there's groups who are trying to do it, and then there are groups who are trying not to do it. So you find a lot of Christians, the majority of Christians, you know, like even this conversation, we've just spent an hour and a half talking about all these exceptions to the rule. We haven't been spending an hour and a half talking about how might how might a nonviolent response to Pol Pot actually work? What would that look like if every single American who called themselves a Christian devoted themselves and all their resources to taking Pol Pot out, you know, in a nonviolent way? Like, what would that have looked like? What, you know, we don't talk about that, right? So what we do is we do talk about all the times that we are justified in, 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 in abandoning the way of Jesus because of look at all the good that might come. And that's actually the brothers Karamazov position right that's the right. the grand inquisitor story right if jesus i just, I just back, want to right? pause on that because i think that's a it's a very fair point but, but the reality but, but the reality is that 
you're not going to get all Christians to do that. So again, we're we're yeah, but I'm trying, but I'm trying, like, but we're trying, right? Some of us are trying. Some of us are are trying to do it, and the the fiercest opposition we ever find is from other Christians, right? Mm-hmm. Who are, who tell us that we're being unrealistic and utopian or something like that? And I'm like, well, violence has never really solved violence, so that so you know, there's no there's no hard data there that's proving that violence is a great solution to yeah. violence. I, I, I do think you'd get some opposition from people of the Jewish faith, um, not just uh, yeah. if if if. Uh, I don't think it's it's restricted. But the other, but the other but, thing about the Sermon on the Mount is that it's um, it is a, a document. It is a, a a collection of teachings which is very explicitly for a group of people who have gathered. The followers of Jesus have gathered at the mountain. And by the way, they, Matthew five describes them, or Matthew four describes them as coming from all different walks of life. He takes pains to tell you that there, there's different social classes and there's different nationalities and they're all joining together and they're all gathered in one place. And then Jesus begins to teach them. And a lot of this stuff in here is an ethic for a kingdom group of people. It's it's like the manifesto for the kingdom. It's not an individual ethic. It's not, all of our stories have been about like, uh, you are all by yourself in front of Pol Pot or you are all by yourself when somebody invades your home. What do you do, right? Because we're so individualistic but these kind of sermon on the mount documents they're all about like we help each other do this like if somebody broke into your home pete and 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 rather than kill them with your handgun you said i refuse you know your life is more important to me than my possessions i'm gonna leave you take what you need if you have to you take what you need right mm-hmm. let's say you did that because you are trying to follow jesus mm-hmm. in that situation Mm-hmm. And let's say the guy wipes you. He does take everything. Let's mm-hmm. say he does. Mm-hmm. Now, Pete, it's on me because I'm your brother and I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm like, wow, Pete took one for the team right now, right? Mm-hmm. We have got to, I've got to sell a field and make sure that Pete's not in need, right? Like, because it's not just you by yourself following Jesus. It's we are trying to help each other do it, right? We're mm-hmm. part of a movement together. That's not what we see. We, Unfortunately, we rarely see that. But what we often see is somebody will will stand up. They'll take a stand for Jesus to follow the way of Jesus. They'll get fired or whatever, and then they're just left by the roadside, right? Mm-hmm. But there's this idea that uh, following Jesus is not meant to be a thing that you do by yourself. It's meant to be a thing that we help each other do because we're part of a movement. That's we're part of a kingdom that's that's living differently. We have different laws, which is what Acts was all about, and that where they. Nobody right. had Held everything any in poverty had in common. Yeah. That's a socio-political response. Right. You know, and that's not it's not capitalism, it's not socialism. It's a it's a group of people who are saying, if we don't take care of each other, no one else will. You know, yeah. They're not trying to set the law of the land. They're not setting an economic policy. They are they're saying, like, there's some poor amongst us and nobody's taking care of us because we're outside the system. So we better do it to our, for our, for each other, you know. Yeah, no, I I think that's a I think that's a compelling re- response. I mean, it's I haven't seen it very 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 much, um, and I'm afraid that if the scenario that you've painted uh, happened, you know, yeah. some people would would step up. Some of them would not be un would be unbelievers, and some people would yeah. be of the community. Yeah. And of course, if somebody were to kill my wife and my children, there's nothing that the community could do to replace that. There's no like they could with you know with with my um with 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 my my possessions yeah, but what yeah. what do you make of the of that point um because I've, I've really sort of struggled 
I'm not sure struggle. I, I guess I'm I'm puzzled a little bit when you think about the Sermon on the Mount and the demands because they're so deep and they're so profound. Yeah. Again, I think that, yeah. that, that they are so revolutionary that we just tend to dismiss the ones that we're not comfortable with. That's true. We do. We, we lock yeah. in on the ones that we want, but selling yeah. possessions to the poor and all of that. Could could yeah. could one be live middle class? Could one buy a new nice new lamp? Right, could one right. buy a car? Yeah. You know, and 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 follow the, the yeah. Jesus example in the Jesus way. I think probably based on what he said, you'd say no. And so, what do you make of of the fact that, as you said, they're vanishingly small? I would yeah. say so vanishingly small that there may not be anybody on the face of the earth that has lived the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Now that could mean a couple of things. It it it, it could be that uh, that the that Jesus never actually intended us to live or or expected us to live that way. That he was laying out kind of a moral example um, to strive for, but it had caveats and understandings mm. of particular life circumstances. That I guess would be one. But but the other might be that um, this is what he expected of us. And that there are none of us that can 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 live that. How do you how do you think about the Sermon on the Mount? And and you know, I'm sure if you read through the entire thing, you you think I fall short of this numerous times a week, let alone in in, in a lifetime. Um, but I would say if somebody asked me, I'd say you know, Stephen's a follower of Jesus. Um, he's an imperfect one, but his heart is in the right place. He loves Christ. He's a person who's making a really good faith effort to know what it means to to be faithful. Yeah, but then I mean, there's lots of things there. But Jesus, he even tells us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, not everyone who says Lord, Lord, and not everyone who points to all their special, flashy religious actions, that's not who uh, you know. It's are you doing it? Are you doing the things that I asked you to do? Right, but but and nobody's then, doing. <laughs> the trouble is nobody's doing what he's doing. What he's asking. Well. Of us. There are people that do or that are moving towards that trajectory, right? And and a lot of it requires an honest, radical dismantling of, you mentioned middle class politics. Like, it is just frankly probably impossible to be a good patriotic middle class American and be a follower of Jesus. Yeah, but I'm talking about the stuff about is there really nobody who's looked at a, a man who's not who's heterosexual that hasn't looked at a woman with lust in his heart once or who hasn't felt anger stir right, up in his right. heart but the but the thing about these 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 sermon on the mount they're not a rule of like laws to get into heaven when you die okay that's not what this is about it's a vision for this is what you have been so what's happened is you're a whole bunch of people you're from lots of different tribes and nations and social classes you've been You've been asked to repent, to die to those things that you were born into, and to come into a new kingdom because the kingdom of God is at hand. And so you come to the new kingdom, which is Jesus. And he says, the kingdom of God is with us. And then he's like, and this is what it looks like. And he gives the vision, the manifesto for what the kingdom looks like. And it's it's all these kinds of things. And even the stuff about lust is you're not treating another human as your as your property, as 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 your means to an end. Right. Like. Uh, at every point, the, the idea is that you treat other people as better than yourself, right? So we're, we're part of a kingdom which is seeking the good of, of everyone, not just seeking what is rightfully yours and not just seeking your own good, okay? So this is this kind of manifesto of this is how we do things. And then it becomes 
they start to organize themselves in such a way that that could become true, right? They're finding ways to make it true. And you see that in the book of Acts, you see that in Paul's letters, loads of Paul's letters. They're all about like everyone consider others better than yourself. And here's how you submit one to another. And here's how we do it. Like they're trying. And I think it's possible to to sort of be on a trajectory of like, well, this is the vision. Now, how do we make it? How would we have to organize ourselves to to let this start to happen in our lives? Right. And yeah. I don't think it's like a who's going to heaven when you die and who's damned or not. Because even even the word salvation, they kind of thought of salvation not as a thing that happened when you died. It was more like, well, what is the world? Which forms of life lead to perishing and which forms of life lead to life? Right, and we're living right. in that right now. And that, by the way, is when you don't treat everyone as a means to it, your own end. Yeah. Yeah. You know? No, I don't I don't, I don't want to get, get belabor the, the, the point. I will say just when... I, a, I didn't mention the Sermon on the Mount in the context of, of heaven. I just mentioned it yeah, in terms yeah. of moral life. But but Jesus but I does. think Christians are so trained to think that it's all about salvation. It's all about how you when you get to heaven, when you die. And and I right. always yeah, need to say, right. no, that's but the, why the violent stuff is m- kind of more important is that the Gospels. It's kind of why I think the, the violence one sort of ends up at the top and the other things fall under it a little bit. Largely, it's not arbitrary. It's because the Gospels themselves that's where they go, right? Like Jesus's final confrontation wasn't with a pimp. <laughs> uh, Jesus's final confrontation wasn't with the moral police. Jesus's final confrontation wasn't even with the priests. It wasn't. It wasn't about the priests and the law. His final confrontation was with Rome, and when and and it and it was a. It wasn't a debate that he had. It wasn't a a race or a boxing match. Like the final confrontation was was a crucifixion which was the torture instrument reserved for enemies of rome right so that's the story that that's the gospel story they're leading you to that place and it's jesus's response to that state-sponsored violence is kind of the point right that's interesting i i would have thought you may you may be right you know the theology much more i would have thought that at least equal with from the point was not Jesus against the roman state but jesus against religious authorities and i, I do think that if you took the the bulk of Jesus's teachings and most of his anger. If you if you said where yeah. was the most anger and upset, where did Jesus himself use potentially violence? Right? Yeah, Which was exactly. Whip. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That, that that was not with Roman authorities. Not that lethal. Was... Not lethal violence. But yes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. For right. sure. That, that no, was... I know. I know. So it's 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 power, right? It's the it's the kind of uh, systems of power, really, because. The, the final conflict was with it all led to Rome, right? So the 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 religious authorities threw Jesus under the bus, but it was the Romans who put their foot on the pedal, right? That's the kind of way of thinking about it. So, and by the time the Gospels are being written down, Christians are primarily in a Roman context. They're living in Roman cities. They're not actually living in Palestinian agricultural context, right? So, also the the, the setting of the Gospels themselves is important. Like, who is who are the people reading these Gospels? Who are they thinking? is their enemies at the moment or their context. So Rome lo- is looming quite large. And the, the Jewish authorities is definitely a huge part of the story. But they also were running the show as, I mean, a lot of those guys, by the way, the priests and the temple priests and the Levites, they are collaborators with Rome, right? Like they're they're there on because Rome has allowed them to be there. And that's what yeah, a lot yes. is going on there, right? So there's it's 
I don't want to say it's all politics, but I do want to say like there's way more Roman politics going on than most Christians are trained to see. We're trained to see it as a religious conflict, but it wasn't a religious conflict. Jesus was killed as king of the Jews. That was the sign above his head, right? It was a political yeah. and his claims to kingship were kind of credible. Like when people looked at Jesus, they're like, yeah, he. we don't know what he is, but he's some kind of freedom fighter. <laughs> Yeah, he's got That's some interesting because my, my my sense is at least for a lot of American evangelicals in America, it's the flip side. I think that a lot of their focus would be on the political and not the religious authorities. Um, right, a lot of them, I, I would say unwittingly, turn into a kind of Pharisaical mode that they right. yeah. they adopt the very religious sensibilities. That, but of course, uh, in the New Testament, like the. The Romans are little gods, right? The, the Romans think the more of a powerful human you are, the more of a little god you are. And the Jews are thinking that their their religion is actually like talking, telling you about politics, like what you're allowed to eat and when you're allowed to eat it and who you're allowed to marry. And right. So there wasn't this distinction between politics and religion. Right. There's just think... power. There's just power. And both yes. sides, you know, both Jews and Romans are thinking of themselves as we're in charge of this land. We are responsible for it. This is how we act when we are responsible. With yeah, no. And I think that, yeah. uh, that it's it's a, it's a, it's reasonable to say that Jesus tended to be to align himself with the powerless, the marginal, yes. uh, the yes. people in the shadows of society. Yes. Yeah. And to yes. the degree yeah. that he had conflicts, they were with the powerful and the, the exactly. powerful fell into two categories, roughly yeah. the politically yeah. powerful. And the religiously powerful, religious power, and there was yeah. some interaction and uh, and interplay between the two, but they were yeah. also separate and distinct, and and distinct um, and distinct categories. Um, but look, I think I I think the 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 points you make are are really good ones, and I think that the people who hold views that are different than yours really need in in good faith to struggle with them because you know it's it's not a debate to sort of one person right, one person wrong. The discuss what everybody who's a follower of Jesus should want is to come out of these discussions thinking more closely, what would Jesus want? How, how do we live in a way that would most align with, with him, with his life and how he would want us to live in the, uh, you know, in the, uh, yeah. in the here and the, here and uh, here and now. And so I think these are all, all, yeah. all important. I still think that, that it's, it's, it's a complicated, I, I uh, and it may be that the basis for my hesitation on the pacifism point uh, is just a product of, as I said, of my own, my own experience, um, mm. my own experiences in, 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 in every way, the country I live in, the life I've led, the profession I've been in, the uh, families of origin and all, you know, all of, all of the rest. I, I think if I, I hope that what I struggle with on this issue is the one that I think there are good faith, just war advocates, and that is the consequences of not taking up arms when arms can actually save innocent people. And it may be that at the end of the day, that um, that that that's the cost that not only we have to pay, but others have to pay for being uh, for, for for being followers of of Jesus. That's still the thing that I I struggle with for the reason I mentioned earlier, which is the incarnation and the idea that Jesus is 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 not a a god that's immune to suffering and moral systems but do you think jesus was is god do i think jesus yeah so if you're trinitarian i mean is jesus the Mm -hmm. word of god is jesus yeah okay so then why do you think that oliver o'donovan is allowed 
is more important than Jesus? Or why do you think, uh, you know, why, why is, why is the security of, why is the American revolution more important than Jesus then? Well, I don't know that the, I wouldn't say the American revolution is more important than or Jesus. Or the book of Deuteronomy. Like, I'm just saying, like, if you think Jesus, if you say Jesus is God and Jesus yeah, by your own, you recognize it as well that Jesus said, "Don't." This is how I want you to treat enemies. Well, so I guess you don't think Jesus is God, then. Well, I, if Jesus told us as we went through an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, don't resist evil. Yeah. Um, somebody hits you, you don't do that. There are a lot of things that that in the in the uh, Sermon on the Mount that you don't do. Yeah. And I guess I could ask, you know, do you believe Jesus is God? And God has told us to do this. Now, I think what right. you're saying, okay. yeah, and I think, yeah. Yeah. honestly, it's it's a nice loophole to have, which is every time I list other things in the Sermon on the Mount that aren't lethal violence, you what you re, you reinterpret it and you say, well, Jesus wasn't really literally meaning that he was making a, a general general point. Um, and but. Right. OK. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. So I think what you need to do is you need to go through every teaching that Jesus does on 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 and examine it in every area of your life and my life and the life of other Christians and ask that question yeah. to every time that you're not following the teachings of yeah. Jesus. And, and say, you might end up saying there is no one righteous, not even right. one. <laughs> right, right. So I, I just think you need to ask that not of just of me, but of you and of of all of us which is if we believe Jesus is God and we take seriously what he teaches and we acknowledge that we don't live it, then we have to struggle with, you know, with why not. And then there are the questions of context and, and what, uh, again, somebody like Tom Wright, who, for whom I have a tremendous amount of respect, and Tom is just one person of, of many others. Tom is not a, a pacifist. He believes that there are arguments i think they're good faith arguments on the on the part of tom so and he knows much more than i do because he's a theologian and i'm not but i think if you had a conversation with tom about pacifism <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah. on on pacifism right. he would make he would make a serious set of of arguments and i don't think he's being unfaithful about it and i don't think it's transparent that he's he's decided that jesus isn't god because he doesn't accept your you know your views of pacifism there've been obviously there've been a lot of really thoughtful and 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 conscientious people throughout the ages who have come to a different conclusion than you have um yeah and the... and none of them including tom wright they all have to stray from the words and life of jesus they all have to bring in other things and that right. is, that is just the high bar and this is and... where i kind of am at that point where i'm like the apparatus of Christianity is one thing. The way of Jesus is something else. Exactly. And that would be true of selling your possessions, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, do, you I look at your yeah. look at your home and yeah. and I do think no, I do think that. And 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 to, by the way, you also know I think we even began our friendship a long time ago saying I, I'm actually very I think I don't even think the word Christian is I don't even like to use that of myself. You know, I just right. and neither did Kierkegaard. It's like actually when we say we're Christian, we probably are what we mean is a good patriotic citizen or a good neighbor. We're not actually following Jesus. So let's yeah. stop saying that. Let's reserve that category for for something that's meaningful, right? Because we're just muddying the waters. Right. No, and, and we'd be better like... off just saying it's too hard for us. I can't right. do it. And right. I I think I'm there. I think I I haven't done everything 
and I would probably kill Paul Pot, you know? Yeah. I'm not a follower of Jesus that way. I can't do it. And and I, but what grieves my heart is is Christians who just continue to act blithely as if they are furthering the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, by by pouring all their resources and time and effort into actions that are the exact opposite of anything that Jesus would have said or did, right? Especially around violence. Right. I, I, I think that that's the strongest argument you have. I, I think just to to speak up for for, for for people who would who would disagree with you, I do think it's it's not simply that they're kind of willy-nilly rejecting the teachings of Jesus. Right. Right. And they're right. not warmongers. Yeah, there are obviously yeah, yeah. those people that are. Yeah. But there are plenty of people who are not warmongers. And they, I think they honestly struggle with the realization of what we've talked of, of about over the last hour yeah, and a half, okay. yeah, which yeah, is yeah. that there are real human consequences and awful human consequences when evil people are not stopped by lethal violence. Now, in the end, it may be that the teachings of Jesus and the and the and the and the biblical ethic say that's the that's the consequences as, yeah, right. as Harawas does but there are enough people that are really seeking to follow Jesus who struggle with this and come down at a different place and they may be wrong but i don't think that yeah. uh, that that they're that the uh, the overwhelming majority of them are are driven by um you know m- either malevolent motives or come to their positions in in a simplistic way without having struggled through some of the really good questions that you've raised and you've raised with with me and i'm going to reflect on them and continue to think it think well, it through this is, I, yeah, I hope this i don't is have great. a best this i hope i don't have a vested interest in 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 <laughs> in my position i really appreciate the time you've taken i i hope we can continue this conversation but i've i've really enjoyed this and i'm I'm going to be reading your work and letting it hit me, letting it hit me where it hurts because it's good. I need to have that. Well, I'm better for having you in uh, in my life, Stephen, and uh, and uh, we'll continue the conversations both privately and uh, and publicly. And um, it's really helpful to sort these things through and for you to be able to to correct the mistakes and errors in my thinking and biblical understanding because um, because there 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 are enough of them. So thanks thanks for doing that. Thanks for being a, a faithful uh, faithful follower of Jesus. Well, we're trying. <laughs> we're trying. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Take brother. care, Stephen. See ya. Bless you. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leave a good review on whichever podcast platform you use to listen. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com.